0: when we were kids and we were in school, if the teacher really wanted to engage us, if they really wanted us to pay attention, they would say something like, all right, class, I want you to put your thinking caps on, right? I want you to put your thinking caps on. It's time to think. Paul talks about our minds and how we think more in the book of Philippians than in any other epistle that he has written, and it's no coincidence that this book of joy is so closely tied to the way that we think, right? Our minds are really incredible. Um, You've probably all heard the statistic that we really only use about 10% of our brains, right? Right? totally false. <laughs> um, I did a lot of research on this. We actually use quite a bit of our brains. Uh, our brains are working even when we're asleep. So we l- use more than it, some people more than others, uh, which is apparent. But, <laughs> but we use quite a bit of our minds. Uh, capable of logical thought, of deductive reasoning and abstract thought. It's faster than any supercomputer. They really are a miracle. However, they are easily infiltrated if they are not guarded. Uh, Here's some fun facts about our minds. They can store up to 2.5 million gigabytes of information. It uses about 20% of the body's total oxygen and energy. Here's one for all of you that don't like to work out. Sweating can temporarily shrink the brain. Emotions can alter our brain chemistry. 95% of all the decisions you make are Subconscious. So things that you don't even think about that you do every single day, 95% of them, most of them, uh, subconscious. And the average, I don't know how they measured this, but the average person has roughly fifty to 70,000 thoughts a day. But here's the kicker 60 to 70% of those thoughts are negative, right? If we struggle with our thought life, it affects our outcomes. Uh, I read this this week that somebody said, My mind is a bad neighborhood and I don't go in there alone. <laughs> A mind is a bad neighborhood. Try not to go in there alone. You don't have to go in there alone. But when you look at these statistics, it really reinforces the fact that we need to be careful. We need to be really um, intentional about the things that we let in. Uh, James, our good buddy James, tells us that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And that's where we left off last week, talking about spiritual stability. And Paul transitions with this week by connecting um, our thinking With our actions and our stability. I quoted A.W. Tozer when he said that what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And it's the most important thing because what you think about God is going to color everything, how you live, how you view God determines how you view other people, how you view Christians and his word. Is he a cosmic killjoy or is he a good father? And so that is why it's the most important thing about us. We need to think about him accurately. Uh, we talked about last week our spiritual stability. We need to resolve conflict. We had those two women in the church who were threatening the church's stability because they weren't getting along. And Paul told them, you guys need to agree in the Lord. And then we're to rejoice constantly. He said, rejoice and again, I say rejoice. We're supposed to be doing it all the time, recapturing our joy, putting it on display. And then we're to restore gentleness. Uh, the verse there said, restore reasonables and let your reasonables be seen by all men. And, you know, trying to think about what that means. What do we mean when we say that somebody is unreasonable? Man, that person is unreasonable. It means that they're either not fair, not nice, not easy to get along with. And so all of those things the opposite of which we should be reasonable, should be seen by the world in our lives. And last, we were to reject anxiety. Uh, We covered that verse. That's one of the most often quoted verses in the New Testament. Be anxious about nothing, but in everything, my prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. All of our fears and anxieties, we need to be redirecting in prayer. And then the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If we don't spend time worshiping, if we don't spend time in the word, then we are going to be vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. We're going to ride the emotional roller coaster, um, and we're not going to have the peace that is ours in Christ Jesus. I read this week that the heart cannot rejoice in what the mind cannot accept. The heart cannot rejoice in what the mind cannot accept. And we are told to constantly rejoice. Rejoice. And we need to make the choice to rejoice. But we can't do that until we have accepted him as our savior. You have to accept him. You have to get to know him. And then you could rejoice in him. And it's a supernatural emotion, guys. It's not something that we can conjure up on our own. If we change our minds, God will change our hearts, right? Change your heart or change your mind and God will change your hearts. So after Paul has told us how to think, now this week he's going to tell us what to think. You might say, well, that's kind of weird. It seems a little overbearing. He's going to tell us how to think, and then he's going to tell us what to think. Well, if you're like me and most people, if you struggle in the area of your thought life, then he's going to tell us this is how you should think. Now these things are what you should think. Now, uh, Philippians 4, 8. We are going to finish the chapter next week, hopefully. But we're just going to do verses 8 and 9 today. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, you can tell if a person's going to excel at something if it dominates their thought life. If it is the only thing they think about, then they're probably going to be pretty good at it because what you ponder, you're going to practice. And we see this all the time. There are people out there with lots of raw talent, but they may be disinterested, right? They're very talented, but they're not interested. And because they're not interested, they don't think about it. And because they don't think about it, it doesn't manifest it in their life. Um, There's a saying that you can probably finish the saying, um, hard work beats talent, when talent doesn't work hard, right? <laughs> hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. And that's true because the people who are talented, if they don't have it on their mind, if they're not consistently thinking about it, the people who are working hard, that's all they think about. It's on their minds and they're going to excel at it. So Paul is letting us know what you think about is going to directly correlate into the actions in your life. Uh, there was a French philosopher named René Descartes, René Descartes. And he's the one that made famous the saying, I think... Therefore, I am, right um, not a real deep thought, but he's the one that coined it, and what he meant by that is that we validate our existence because we can produce thought and but what Paul would say is Paul would say, "I think, therefore I do, not I think, therefore I am, but I think, therefore I do." My thought life is directly tied to the actions. I can't separate the two. What I'm thinking about and what I'm doing are tied together. Paul's ministry, really, if you think about it, was show and tell. Uh, he's like, I'm going to show you how to do it, and I'm going to tell you how to do it. In our reading today, we're going to find out three ways that we ought to be thinking. We are to think carefully. We're to think righteously. And then lastly, we're to think actively. And you might be thinking, Nathan, that sounds like you're headed down the path to positive thinking. That makes me a little nervous because it sounds a little new agey that we're going to talk about the power of positive thinking. But here's what I'll say to that. Um, In this world, there is absolute truth, absolute truth. And it's all God's truth. that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the fact that the world has discovered or caught on to some of that truth doesn't make it their truth. They didn't invent it. They simply discovered it like gravity. You cannot believe in God, but it doesn't matter who you are or where you are, gravity is an inescapable fact. And our thought life affects our actions. That is a truth. And it is God's truth, not the world's truth. So Bible consistently demonstrates the relationship between our thoughts and our actions. You are the gardener of your mind and how you cultivate it makes a difference. Um, If you have good thoughts, it's going to lead to good fruit. But if you just Leave the gate open. If you leave the field alone, you're going to end up with a bunch of weeds. Uh, Proverbs 23.7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Now, that sounds an awful lot like, I think, therefore I am. Even Rene didn't come up with something new. He was just quoting what Solomon said a couple thousand years earlier. Romans 12.2 says, Not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And Ephesians 4:22 and 23 put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. God places a paramount importance on the way we use our minds. Christians should become not just the most joyful people in the world, but some of the most thoughtful people in the world. And by that I don't just mean nice. Uh, I mean people that are actually using our minds. Listen to what Solomon tells his son about using his mind. In Proverbs 2, he says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice, for understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And the rest of the chapter goes on about pursuing knowledge and specifically the knowledge of God. And people know, people know inherently that there is a God, a God exists, but they do not know who he is and he's revealed to us in the scriptures and in the person of Jesus Christ and his salvation not only changes our spirit but it also changes our minds also transforms our minds in the gospels we're given a story of a scribe who stands up and asks Jesus a question about what is the most important you know what is the most important commandment and he says you know well how do you read it Jesus kind of answers this question with a question and you hear this verse out of Deuteronomy is the response Deuteronomy 6 and it's actually out of a Jewish prayer that they would pray every single day called the Shema, and it said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's how we're supposed to love God. So you guys are starting to get the picture here that how we use our minds is important. We're to pursue God with all of our minds, with all of our soul, with all of our hearts. So the first way that we should think is carefully. Verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure lovely, commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I said last week, and I'll say it again, that not every thought you have is yours. Not every thought that pops into your head is yours. Have you ever been praying and then all of a sudden some thought pops into your head and like, where in the world did that come from? Well, the enemy's there popping seeds into your mind, trying to distract you, trying to get you off track. I mean, if you think about it, what was Satan's attack on Eve? His very first attack on Eve in the garden was to get her to doubt. He said, did God really say that you're not supposed to eat of the trees of the garden? Trying to make her doubt in her mind. It was a, um, it was a mind attack, if you will. Uh, psychological warfare. But we really are the sum of our thoughts uh, what you think about yourself, what you think about God, what you think about people and the scriptures and society, that really is who you are. And God has given this mind for us to live in while we're here. Um, I'm a very cognitive person, and so I tend to be in my head a lot. And you can get lost in there. Like I said, sometimes it's a bad neighborhood. You don't want to go in there by yourself. So we need to be careful and intentional with the things that we're thinking about. We need to know the truth. We need to be grounded in the truth, because we can't do if we don't know. Second Peter three eighteen, he said, "But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ." And in Colossians one nine, it says, "From the day that we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding." In Proverbs one seven, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom. We grow in the knowledge of our Savior through the scriptures, thinking about what he has done for us. And the temptation in the church today is to focus on an experience, to focus on the mystical, um, that there is something deeper out there that we need to be chasing after. And the problem is, or the danger, when people are chasing after something deeper, is that they go off the deep end. And they can get on all kinds of weirdness, off track, distracted if they're not grounded in the truth. Or it can be all about zeal and activity. We can try to get people all excited, try to get people involved in all kinds of activity, but if it's not grounded in truth, it's rarely going to change people. But people aren't always interested in sitting and thinking, meditating, if you will, on his word. I quoted A.W. Tozer. I'll do it again. He had this quote. Go ahead and put it up there. May not the inadequacy of much of our spiritual experience be traced back to our habit of skipping through the corridors of the kingdom like children through the marketplace, chattering about everything but pausing to learn the true value of nothing. We're skipping through the corridors of the kingdom, but we're not spending time thinking on, pondering on, meditating on his word. The second way that we are to think is righteously. Um, you know, about the importance of thinking in Hosea, Hosea 4, 6, God said, my people perish. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. If we decide to not sit, to not read through the word, then we will be destroyed for our lack of knowledge. That's the reason why we go verse by verse through the Bible, that we can't skip over things that make us uncomfortable, but also that we can dig in and know the truth and be grounded in the truth that we can apply to our lives. Uh, In Mark 7, Jesus had just got done rebuking the Pharisees again. And so they started coming after him and saying, well, why do your disciples eat without washing their hands? which seems like a very trivial thing, right? They were kind of at the end of the rope. Why, what about your disciples? Why aren't they washing their hands? Well, they weren't so much interested in sanitary. They were interested in ritual. Um, they would have a certain amount of water that they would use, and they would pour it over their hands, and they would scrub them really hard in a very ceremonial way. And if you were really devout, you would do it in between courses. And they would say, why don't they wash their hands? And Jesus would say, you know, you guys have a really fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in preference of your traditions. And then when he told people after that, he gathered them together in Mark seven, 14 through 23. And he said, he called the people together and said to them, hear me all of you and understand there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, selfishness, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. Because what's inside of us will come out eventually, Paul tells us. These are the things that you are to think about. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, pure, lovely, and commendable. These are the things that you guys need to think on. But that doesn't mean that it's easy. Right? We can think on these things, but it doesn't mean that it's easy. Second Corinthians 10.5, Paul told the church, speaking of spiritual warfare, he said, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We can only destroy arguments and lofty opinions if we know what we're talking about right? Which is the reason why we're supposed to be studying. And we're to take every thought captive. Remember those 50 to 70,000 thoughts a day that I was talking about? If most of them are negative, we need to be taking those thoughts captive. They have to be harnessed. It's a battle to think righteously. At least you have a book called Battlefield of the Mind. Um, It can be a war. To think righteously, they must be taken captive. And he's going to give us six attributes. Basically, they all say the same thing, right? You need to be thinking rightly. You need to be thinking righteously. Our culture today has rejected the idea of absolute truth. They've rejected it. Um, they would say that it's all relative. Truth is relative. That may be your truth, but that's not my truth. I'm glad that works for you. Um, I was talking with Devin actually just yesterday, and he was saying it's very difficult to have prog- um, very productive conversations with friends on the college scene because everybody is so accepting today. There is very little debate because if that's good for you, hey, that's fine. This is what's good for me. Feelings are held up instead of truth. Um, How does that make you feel? Right? That's really what gets held up today. The most glaring example of this right now, I think, is the gender fluidity um, topic that we are going through in our culture. You know, how do you feel today? What do you feel like today? Um, Rather than asking, is it true? People ask, does it work? And we're more concerned with being offensive or divisive that instead of holding up the truth, we may defer to not hurting people's feelings. Worst piece of advice that you could give somebody is to follow your heart, right? If you tell somebody, just, follow, just listen to your heart. Worst piece of advice you could give them, right? There was a song back in the 80s by a band called Roxette, right? That's why. You're, listen to your heart. Bad idea. Don't listen to your heart. The weeping prophet, Jeremiah, he said this, Jeremiah 17, 9. He said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Don't listen to your heart. That's why we need a constant injection of God's truth in our lives if we're going to be stable and discerning. If you want to know what righteous thinking is, then get a Bible booster. Get a Bible booster, fam. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, some some translations say whatever is noble, whatever is lofty, whatever is worthy of respect, whatever is just, basically whatever is right, righteous thinking. Psalms 119, longest chapter in the Bible, in verse 105, you guys all know this one. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It is going to show you the right way. And then it'll show you whatever is pure, whatever is wholesome and innocent. Earlier in 119, verse 9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure or innocent? By guarding it according to your word. Now, speaking of the word, John Bunyan, the guy that wrote Pilgrim's Progress, he had written on the inside of his Bibles, probably not a bad practice, probably should write it in there, that this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Stay in the book. It'll keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Paul's talking about thinking righteously. The only way to do that is to stay in the word. If you don't know it, then how can we do it? The outside world has rejected the absolute truth. They'll say that it's a nice history book and it's got some nice moral sayings in it, but it can't be trusted because it's got all kinds of contradictions in it. Now, if somebody ever says that to you, then I would challenge them by saying, can you show me one? And they'll probably stutter and stammer and be like, well, I I can't name one right now, but I know that they're in there. And I would challenge them to go find one and bring it back and show you where that is because it doesn't contradict itself at all. It actually contradicts their lifestyle and their behavior, but it doesn't contradict itself. It convicts, but it doesn't contradict itself. Mark Twain once said, it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand because it's convicting. The answers are in there. One student went to his professor and he said, listen, some of the points that you had in your lecture aren't matching up with the textbook that I have. And so he went to show him in the textbook where those points didn't match up. And so the professor promptly ripped the pages out of his book and said, there, now it agrees with me. And sometimes that's what we do. We either neglect the truth, or we edit the truth so that it agrees with our lifestyle. And we see that quite a bit in our culture today, rationalizing our behavior and editing the Word of God so that it fits with what we're doing. Um, I'm reading a book, I wish I would have started a lot earlier, it's probably going to take me a couple years to get through, uh, called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And it was written by a guy, when he was in college, he was given the, you know, the bet the challenge to find the contradictions in the Bible. And so he made it his mission to find all the contradictions in the Bible. And he, like so many other thinkers came to the realization after lots of research traveling around the world, trying to disprove the Bible and the resurrection that it's real. It's real. So we're, we're called to think carefully. We're called to think righteously and we're called to think actively. People use the phrase sometimes blind faith, but that's not what we have. We don't have a blind faith. We're not stepping out into the dark. We're stepping out into the light. We have an intelligent, active faith. In Hebrews eleven six, 6, it says, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever who would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You have to believe and then you have to seek. Seeking and believing, we have an active faith. Okay, verse 9, this is the second half of what we're talking about today. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You've learned them, you've received them, now go do them. That's the command. Our thoughts lead to deeds. We can't separate our thought life from our actions. Um, By the way, this is the hope of every pastor, teacher, that when they expose people to the truth that they will receive it and that they will think on it and believe it and then go do it. Um, I think, and you're probably familiar with this too in your own life, there's nothing more frustrating than offering people truth, offering them advice and having them just repeat the same cycle over and over and over again in their lives because they have heard it, but they have not received it. And they certainly haven't believed it because they're not doing it in their lives. And that's the reason why Paul's in such agony over the churches that he's planted. Because he's saying, that's awesome that you guys have believed. But now let's graduate to the doing phase. Let's get to the doing phase. That's nice that you believe. Paul says, learned and received and heard and seen. Because you can learn something and not receive it. You can learn something. And I've heard people say, I don't receive that. And that's okay, because you can learn something, but sometimes you shouldn't receive it. And then sometimes we can hear things, but not perceive it. You know, Jesus, they asked him one time why he was taught in parables. And he said, because in hearing they may not hear, and in seeing they may not see, which sounds like a strange thing. But that's true as humans. If the Holy Spirit doesn't reveal it to us, then we can see, but not really perceive and hear, but not receive it to ourselves. Uh, Knowledge, whether it's in the secular or the spiritual world, makes no difference at all until you incorporate it into your life. You believe God? Great. The demons believe in God. That doesn't make any change in their life. And if people say they believe in God, then it needs to affect the way that we live. That's what repentance is. Repentance is listening to the Holy Spirit Having a change of mind, believing that the way you've been walking is wrong, and turning around and walking in the other direction. Having a change of actions. We need to actively hear and listen. But how are we listening? Are we listening casually, or are we listening carefully? Uh, Because here's the danger, and so here's a warning, a warning from the shepherd. Uh, If you are exposed to the truth, if you hear the truth, but you don't apply it to your life, You're going to be calloused. You're going to get a hard heart. You could sit in church every single Sunday and not be changed because you haven't let it uh, penetrate your heart. And then we get what we have all over America, uh, a very scary thought. We get a bunch of churched unbelievers. People that sit in church every single week and don't receive the word because it doesn't affect their life and the way that we live. And some people might say, are you you saying that you could be in church, you could be raised in church and not be a Christian? That's what I'm saying. That's a scary thought. Because if we hold up the truth and people leave here and they leave it behind, they check their brain at the door and they don't let it sink in and change the way they live Monday through Saturday, then... You're not really going to be saved. And if that offends people, I don't really care. (laughs) Because I'd rather offend you than lead you on and not be truthful to you. I love you guys too much to try and lead you on and make you believe that if you just sit in a chair and come and sing songs, that that is going to save you. Yes, we are saved by grace, but that grace should lead us to repentance and a changed way of life. If somebody has a heart attack, And you say, well, I just really don't understand it. I mean, he used to watch nutrition and workout videos all day long on YouTube. (laughs) But it didn't affect their life. He was going to McDonald's five days a week. We can watch and learn all the things that we want to, but if it doesn't make a difference, it doesn't matter. In James 1, 22 through 25, he says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If we hear it, but we don't do it, we're deceiving ourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. How long did you stand in front of the mirror this morning as you were getting ready? (laughs) If I woke up in the morning, walked past my mirror in the bathroom, Hair was going sideways, right? But I walked away from it, went and got dressed, forgetting what I look like and went to work. That would be a real shocker to a lot of people. And that's what should happen when we open up the Word, right? The Word is a mirror. We should read it and be like, I need to make some changes. I need to make some changes to my life. Have you guys seen these t-shirts Let's say, I woke up like this? (laughs) No, you didn't. (laughs) No, you didn't. We spend time in front of the mirror. We should spend time in the word. Because if we do, it comes with a promise. We have the God's Promises book. Again, if you, have, if you don't have one or if you have somebody in your life that you want to give one to, take it. Um, I mentioned in Luke 10 when Jesus was having the conversation with the lawyer about what must I do to inherit eternal life. Um, Jesus answers his question with a question. And I do this a lot, but he's not avoiding the question. He is wanting him to dig deeper into it and saying, what do you, what do you see it? How do you read it? And Jesus wasn't dodging the question. He was trying to drive home the point that you have heard this message, but it hasn't penetrated your heart because he says, if you do these things, you will live. After he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, then he says, and your neighbor as yourself. He said to him, you have answered correctly, do this, and you will live. You will have life if you do these things. He knew the truth, but it hadn't penetrated his heart. So we as a church, right, we need to do more than just say amen or take notes or underline things in our Bible We actually need to put those things into practice. Uh, I read this poem this week by somebody named Arthur McPhee, and I thought it summarized this thought very well. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are read by more than a few, but the one that is read and commented on is the Gospel according to you. You are writing a Gospel, a chapter each day, by the things that you do and the words that you say. Men, read what you write whether faithless or true, say, what is the gospel according to you? Do men read his truth and his love in your life? Or has yours been too full of malice and strife? Does your life speak of evil or does it ring true? Say, what is the gospel according to you? Here are a few practical ways we can think actively. First, we need to evaluate content. Uh, Most of you guys know that I work for a TV station and the company that measures how many people are watching television is called Nielsen, and we look at these numbers all the time. And the latest numbers tell us that people watch, on average, about four hours of TV a day. Now, that actually, num- that number has gone down, actually. Um, used to be about six hours a day, which is crazy, but with the, you know, invention of cell phones and smartphones and tablets and all these type of things, that number has come down, but people are still consuming The same amount of media every single day. We are filling our minds with lots of information every single day. And back when I was in school and we were, you know, just learning computers, we were learning that phrase that computer programmers used to use, which was the garbage in, garbage out, right? If you wanted the right outcome, you had to put the right input in. And if you don't, you were going to get garbage behind Um, We fill our minds every single day with what we watch, what we listen to, what we read. um, What are we letting in? Uh, The average American during those four hours of TV every single day um, will encounter 14,000 sexual references per year. 14,000. And by the age of 18, a child will have seen roughly 16,000 murders played out on the screen in front of them. We need to think actively, evaluating content and what comes into our minds, because that's what's going to come out. Life or death. We also need to punctuate truth. Who took Spanish in school? Anybody took Spanish? Okay. Devin's taking Spanish. Megan's a Spanish teacher, if you guys need a refresher. I think it's interesting because when you write an exclamatory sentence in Spanish, they actually put an exclamation point at the beginning and at the end right? The one at the beginning is upside down. I think that's great because they're telling you ahead of time, this is an important sentence, pay attention. So what we need to do every single day is punctuate truth. How are you starting and ending your day? Are you starting and ending your day with God's truth or are you starting and ending your day with Fox news? I don't know how people go to sleep at night after watching Fox news. I really don't. I get so worked up and anxious. I can't watch it. Punctuate truth. Evaluate content and punctuate truth. What are you filling your mind with? Because if you don't like what's coming out of you, then maybe you need to reevaluate what you're putting in. That is a good litmus test. Our hope doesn't lie in government. doesn't lie in people. It only lies in the Lord. That's where our hope is. So evaluate content, punctuate truth, and meditate on Scripture. We punctuate truth by meditating or thinking on God's word. Um, We don't have a mindless faith. When we read through the Bible, we are feeding and building up our spirit man, internalizing it. Um, In Isaiah 55, and this is in the NIV translation, the the title of the section is Invitation to the Thirsty. And listen to what it says in verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him when he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon them for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways. My ways declares the Lord as the heavens are higher than the earth. So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. They might say, Nathan, I just don't know if that's going to work this whole, power of positive thinking and reading God's word, is that really going to change my life? Skip down to verse 11, and here's the promise. My word that goes out of my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent. This is his word, and it will accomplish what he says it will, if you'll just pick it up and read it. Lastly, Paul says, Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Uh, in verse 7, Paul wrote, The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus. And this time he says, The God of peace will be with you. Now, I know I need the peace of God in my life, but more importantly, I want the God of peace next to me at all times. Where's Elena? If you guys want to come back up, you can. Um, I found this story. John Templeton. Um, was a very wealthy British investor and philanthropist. And he actually, I don't know if you've ever heard of Templeton Investments. This is the guy who created that. He's very well known. He passed in 2008. And when his daughter-in-law was going through his things, she found a letter, a short letter, that had been included with a Christmas card back in 1962. So he had written this short letter. um, And he took the opportunity to encourage the readers, whoever it was, family or friends, to tell them that their minds were like, a garden and they were the ones that were responsible for tending it and I wanted to read it to you guys he said if you exercise no control it will become a weed patch and a source of shame and misery if you exercise wise control then it'll be filled with God's miracles and become a place of indescribable beauty you are free to choose which how can you do it simply by example developing a habit of looking at each thought as you would a plant If it's worthy, if it fits the plan you desire for your mind, cultivate it. If not, replace it. How do you get it out of your mind? Simply by putting in its place two or three thoughts of love or worship. For no mind can dwell on more than two or three thoughts at one time. Circumstances outside the garden of your mind do not shape you. You shape them. For example, if you expect treachery, allowing those thoughts to dwell in your mind, you'll get it. If you fill your mind with thoughts of love, you will give love and get it. If you think little of God, he'll be far from you. But if you think often of God, the Holy Spirit will dwell more in you. The glory of the universe is open to every man. Some look and see, some look and see not. Gardens are not made in a day. That's very encouraging. Gardens aren't made in a day. God gave you one lifetime for the job. Control of your garden or your mind grows with practice and study of the wisdom other minds have given you. He who produces an item of unique beauty in his garden or his mind may have a duty to give that seed to others. As your body is the dwelling place of your mind, so is your mind the dwelling place of your soul. The mind you develop is your dwelling place for all your days on earth. And the soul you develop on earth may be the soul that you're stuck with for eternity. God's given you a choice. We need to evaluate the content that's going in. We need to punctuate truth in our lives by meditating on Scripture. The thoughts that we have are important. Let's be intentional this week. Take it and apply it. Don't be hearers of the Word. Be doers of the Word. And make sure that we're harnessing those thoughts and putting them on Jesus Christ.